1: Hey, church planner. This is Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. Our beloved Peyton Jones is, is no longer with us today. That is, he's no longer with us today. I should make that, that clarification. He is, uh, in the beautiful, sunny, hot, hot country of Wales where I believe he said it has rained every day that it has been there or he has been there. So, uh, He's been kind of blessed with the rain, whereas I'm in Southern California, and we've been doing about 102 to 104 and pretty much dying out here, so um, it's been uh, been a bit of a heat wave. But we have a special guest on today's podcast, and let me just go ahead and introduce our, our guest. It is none other than the math pastor himself, Josh Henry from Simplified Church. Josh, welcome to the call. Hey Pete, thanks for having me. So you know, one of the things, uh, obviously, we joke around on the podcast all the time, uh, making fun of you and your uh, your your sponsorship on the uh, the podcast, and we have fun with the the math pastor bit. We we do that quite a bit, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you guys do, but that's that's not um, the core reason why we've got you on today. Why we have you on is we really want to talk about some of the problems that church planners face with some of these, the the legal side, the accounting side, the problems that they get themselves into. And and so we want to kind of help these guys out, whether or not they ever use Simplify Church, but just to give them some knowledge that they can draw from as they're doing what they're doing. But before we get into all of that, Josh, one of the things we always like to do when we have a guest on is we like to have them tell us their story of how they came to faith and how they got involved. I happen to know that you're, that you attend a church plant. So, you know, tell us your story, how you came to faith and how you ended up at the church plant that you're with now. Yeah, no,
2: I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of uh, very pleased to, to have a, a chance to chat with you and, and, and share some thoughts and hopefully there's some, uh, uh some bits would come across that help guys today. And, uh, but Yeah, no, my story's is uh, pretty simple. I have that typical, you know, um, I, well, I guess it's not typical, but I have kind of the, uh, the uneventful uh, saved at a very early age, um, you know, grew up in a Christian home, been around church my entire life. And uh, but I, I like to say, as I as I look back and I, and I think through things of how we do church, um, you know, those years of experience helped me to kind of go Oh, yeah, I saw that when I was a little kid, and that didn't work out very well, but now I see why we thought that was a good idea. Um, so not to jump the gun too far there, but no, I was saved at an early age, born in a Christian home, had very godly parents that uh, raised us in church, and uh, obviously tried to live um, as most young teenagers do, where I, I sowed my wild oats and and uh, you know lived a rebellious life at times um, within guardrails of of not going off the deep end. Um, and uh, felt a call to ministry. Uh, I would say around my junior year of college, mm. uh, I, I went to school to be a golf pro. Of there's all things, a, there's a school uh, for that. Uh, well, yeah, uh, there are several in the country that uh, basically it's a it's a marketing business degree, um, but you get all the requirements done um, to for the PGA to basically run golf courses to be a, a golf professional. So. It was, wow. a, it was a, it was it was a very f- interesting program, a fun program. I was like, you know, like, I got to, I got to tell you, I, college.
1: I, the reason why I chose communication as my major is I figured it would be the easiest degree I could possibly, you know, get, but I don't know, a golf degree that might've been easier than mine. <laughs> you know, you'd think so. And at
2: the outset, it kind of sounds like that, but uh, believe it or not, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a full bachelor's of marketing
1: degree that I have. Um, and yeah, it actually was go, go a little a, tougher. Keep, keep, um, trying, you had to, keep trying to work. sell yourself that. Keep trying to sell all of us that oh, that's well, a really I tough figure.
2: Right? i got to make myself feel good. <laughs> for all the money I spent,
1: something I'm not using today <laughs> at all.
2: A uh, little marketing piece I am. But uh, um, but yeah, no, kind of felt called ministry and just wasn't quite sure where. Um, I was to serve and, and honestly fought the call because this is the very reason, Hey, I just spent all this money and time trying to be a golf pro and God, you can't be asking me to go mm. be a pastor now. That would be, you know, I totally thought it was the opposite, but, uh, um, you know, went in the golf industry, realized very quickly that I hated it, um, and, and hated the lifestyle and, and all those things. And, and, um, you know, I, I was a pro op in Michigan. And as you can imagine, golf and Michigan are two things that go together well for just a few months of the year. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then you you typically uh, get laid off in my position. And so that happened and moved back home and just decided to jump in and say, God, OK, you've got me. Um, let's try ministry. Um, and, and man, I could tell you the whole story from there. But in just a synopsis, I saw. Uh, in getting my feet wet in ministry, I saw what I call the Monday morning church. Um, And that is the side of church that most people don't see on Sunday mornings. Not a bad thing, uh, but just a side of church that is basically a small business. And there are things that happen that most people sit in the pews on Sunday mornings don't have a clue. Um, The the typical joke that people talk about with pastors where they say, oh, oh, you're a pastor? Oh, so you just work on Sundays, right? And uh, Mm. we all know that that's, so far from the truth. Right. Um, and and but at the same time, we have these uh, churches that operate um, not quite as efficiently as they could um, be, just because that side of things often gets overlooked.
1: Right. Right. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit um, about some of that. And you know what? Actually, before we get to that, I want you to tell everyone your seminary story that you shared with me right before we got on the podcast. Of going to seminary and your pastor and oh, his question,
2: you know, it, yeah, it's kind of kind of those uh, <laughs> those things. Sometimes as as pastors, we just assume, uh, and I've been guilty of it before. And you know, it, it was. Uh, I remember when I was a member of Southern Baptist Church, and uh, in that in that world, to go to a Southern Baptist seminary, you have to be basically approved. You have to get a letter of recommendation from from your parent church that. Uh, they feel they would agree with your call to seminary. And uh, so on a Sunday night, pastor had me uh, come up and and share all the reasons why I thought I needed to go to seminary. I just gave a stunning rendition of, of that obviously. Um, And then when I was done, pastor had to come up and say, okay, that sounds great. Josh. Yeah, we really appreciate it. But uh, just let me ask you the question. You are saved, correct? (laughs) (laughs) And I went, uh, yeah. So, Sometimes there's those questions that, uh, you know, we, we just kind of over assume people are, are like minded or are, are, are like believers with us.
1: Right. Yeah. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. So a us. lot of times as
2: pastors, it happens as we live in church world. Yeah, you know, we, we, we have those rose
1: colored stain
2: or what was it that was the rose colored stained glass uh, stained colored glasses. I forget. I forget the term that's used uh, for that. But basically that, you know, we look at everything through the church stained glass windows.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that it definitely happens when uh, pastors go full time. Um, I think a lot of our Bible pastors are are a little bit more used to that, right? Because they're out in the world yeah. and uh, and not you know not a pe- pencil pusher for Jesus, as Peyton likes to call it. You know, they're not just sitting behind a desk; they're actually out there doing stuff. But as you start sure. getting into that that full time world, that that can start to creep in. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I, can, I mean, I went to a Christian university, and so it was just assumed everyone was a Christian. Right. And um, certainly I didn't, I mean, during you know several years of my college experience, I didn't follow the uh, the traditional, um, how shall I put this? I didn't follow the rules. <laughs> let, me just, let me just leave it at that. But there were a lot of
2: the PG version. of That's the PG.
1: That's the quick. Let's not get into the whole story. It doesn't matter now anyway. But um, but there were uh, definitely people who were there because that was the only school their parents would pay for. Mm. And they tell you, that's the reason why I'm here. This is the only school my parents would pay for. So, you know, I'm not going to live at home. I'm going to go to college here. And so there's that assumption, but it's not necessarily a, a founded assumption. We've actually talked to church planners who have had uh, knowingly people on their core team who weren't Christians, who weren't saved yeah. when they started and then they got saved. And Peyton's like, I got no problem with that, man. You can come to our core team meeting no matter what he's like, because you're going to get saved. That's just, that's what's going to happen. So, but yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the uh, the Monday morning church as you were talking about. Um, what were some of the, the issues and problems um, that you could see for a church that a lot of people, like you were saying, they don't notice it, you know, because they're just there on Sunday sitting in the pew.
2: Yeah, well, there's, the, there's this, uh, this, this old adage, or maybe it's not even that, but just a, a thought that church is a church, mm. which is true. But uh, I contend with a lot of people that if you remove the sacred from the church, you have a small business. And and if you, if you don't think so, ask the IRS. Um, they'll, they'll be sure to tell you um, what you are. Um, and and in that, there are just things that have to happen um, from a from an administrative standpoint, from a finance standpoint, from a, a regulation regulatory standpoint, just to keep the doors open. And uh, and those are the things that are are they're not the 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 sexy part of church. They're not the the ministry related things. They're not the things we went to seminary to learn how to do. Um, they're just, quite frankly, stuff that has to get done that somebody has to do, and generally speaking, it falls on a volunteer.
1: Right. So, talk to me about some of the budget side of uh, what you've seen with churches. I know you've mentioned in the past that many pastors that you've talked to, especially in church plants, they don't know how to prepare a budget, they don't know how to review a budget, they have no budget at all. It's kind of like I got this thing in marketing. I call it spur of the moment marketing. If I got some money in my pocket, I'll do some marketing and. And for some church planters, it's kind of like, well, we got a little bit of money in the bank. So, OK, we've got a budget, <laughs> you know, it's, it's spur of the moment budget. What do you see on that side uh, of things? Unfortunately,
2: yeah, uh, unfortunately, a lot of guys live in, in that same in that same world uh, when it comes to a budget. Um, you know, the, the, those words, um, you know, one of the things that I really want to make sure we go over today is, is the three things that I've noticed that most church planters uh, are, ne- are. That was kind of a weird way to say that most church planters are neglecting um, or overlooking. And these are the three things that when we get guys on board that are generally the, the, the big hiccups and the things that we really work to get them up to speed on. Um, and the, the very first one is, yeah, exactly. Uh, not having a budget, um, not knowing how to prepare a budget or not realizing how to use that budget, um, to make ongoing ministry decisions. Mm. So, um a lot of times I, I get that pastor on the phone that's wanting to come on board with our system um and and that's one of my questions hey you know what's what's your budget um we base our pricing off of the church's budget and that generally goes into a, a lot of hemming and hawing and kind of the oh well we kind of think we're going to be here but i'm not real sure i don't know how to put one together so it uh, it really is that piece um you know i i think uh, I think Dave Ramsey talks about budget all the time for personal finances. Right. And uh, how much more important is it um, as an organization, uh, as someone who is relying on the faithful gifts of people to manage and steward that money well. And flying by the seat of our pants, making spending decisions is is not being a good steward of donated funds. Uh, and, And we could go into the opposite end of that spectrum to say, are people neglecting or hesitant to give to your church because they don't see a good plan in place for how you're going to use those funds? But that's a whole nother topic. Mm. Um, you know, we, so we get, we get the, all on the spectrum. We, we, we sat down with the church one time and asked for a budget. And, uh, what we got was, uh, four lined sheets of paper that still had the, um, you know, that were ripped out of a wired spiral notebook. Um, and basically what it was, was their giving report. It was their, the deposit totals for each week. And, uh, we asked the pastor, we said, no pastor, this looks more like your, your deposit, um, totals. Do you, do you have a budget? He's like, well, what do you mean by that? Next question was, well, if somebody comes to you with a receipt and they say, Hey, we bought cookies for the preschoolers. I'd like a reimbursement. Um, what, what happens next? He goes, well, I just write them a check. Okay. Well, how did you know that was something you wanted to spend money on? How do you know how much money you've spent so far this year on cookies for the preschoolers? And then how do you know where that is is trending, or or what does cookies for the preschoolers bring to your ministry from a, from what I call a a a, um, a growth engine, uh, which is basically a return on investment
1: um, scenario. Now what? what is the IRS's rules on some of those things that you just talked about? Because I know most of the pastors we deal with the last thing they know anything about are IRS guidelines. It's like, okay, I barely just got this church off the ground. I'm working three jobs. I got a family and I got this church, but you just hit on some things that are really important, like reimbursements and stuff like that. What kind of tracking do they need to be aware of? And what are the dangers with the IRS if they they don't do this stuff correctly?
2: Well, yeah, I mean that's a that's a great point. There's there's a lot that plays into that, um, and and it can get uh, pretty particular. Now, when we talk about budgets, it's one thing. I, 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 I it's kind of an interesting um, piece because where your budget is vitally important to the church. I mean, it having that plan in place. Um, It is is crucial to know where and how you're going to spend money. But at the same time, that budget holds no legal ramifications to your church. It is there are no guidelines to it. It's a very fluid document in that um, it's not like the IRS requires you to submit a budget in any way. So. That's where a lot of guys get get into weeds a little bit, where um, they, they they put too much weight on the budget, in a legalistic standpoint. Right. In that, oh, we have to have this budget. No, you don't. It's 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 a spending it's a spending tool. It's a roadmap on how you're going to spend your money. Mm. Um, but at the same time, and this is kind of getting into my, into my second point I wanted to talk about. Um, so I'll just kind of uh, briefly uh, mention it: is the pastors oftentimes believe the myth. That they don't need to know what's going on with the church finances. There's this 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 thought process, and it's kind of folklore. I don't know where it came from. That as pastors and church leaders, we you know we put the oh you're the pastor, you don't have to worry about finances. Let's leave that to the finance team, or let's leave that to the deacons, or let's leave that to the elders. You know, but I I, I like to equate that a lot of times to, um, and I'll tell the story. If you remember the movie, remember the Titans.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: So, there's a scene in the movie where where where, you know, they're they're talking about the two coaches coming together. You got Denzel Washington and and the guy that was the, the the old head coach. I can't remember the actor's name, but they're chatting and and he goes, "Okay, coach, I'm in. I'll run the defense, you run the offense." And Denzel makes a statement in that next line. He says, "Okay, but you'll run the, the defense as a part of my overall team strategy." And then he further's that to say, I've never seen an assistant coach's name in the paper for losing a game on Friday night. Mm. So same thing kind of happens here with pastors where a pastor that just uh, claims um, that he doesn't know what's going on. I didn't know. I'm not supposed to know what's going on the finances, but guess whose name's going in the paper. If something happens, right. Chances are it's, 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 it's not going to sell papers for them to say, well, a, a, a volunteer bookkeeper at, first Baptist church is in trouble for over misappropriating funds. They're going to say pastor at first Baptist church is, is in trouble for misappropriating funds. Right. And, and it's just, it's what's going to sell paper. So that's what, so the pastor needs to have an idea of, of what's happening. So I chased a rabbit there. I'm not sure if I even asked the answer, the question you were, you no, were it kind actually of, asking me there.
1: Well, it, it does to, uh, to you, you actually point out, I think a a really you're pointing out an issue that a lot of churches are are just trying to close their eyes to. Um, You know, interestingly enough, we make the joke about, you know, who's a math pastor. Who's not a math pastor. Peyton is clearly not a math pastor. You know, this because you work with him, right? I do. But like Peyton, um, At Refuge Long Beach, before he turned the reins over, he was the guy who was in charge financially. And, Mm -hmm. like, he needed to know how much money do I have in the account? What are our expenses? And it wasn't like people could just come and, uh, you know, say, hey, I need a reimbursement. In fact, um, I remember as I was treasurer for uh, a time there, Mm -hmm. people would come to me with receipts and I would have to get permission from Peyton to submit those to you guys there at Simplify Church, because he needed to keep control over, you know, where's our money and are we going to have enough money to make payroll, you know, if if you know if it comes down to like paying the assistant pastor, um, you know, we had a, a teaching pastor and and Peyton of course we didn't have any full time people they were all part time. He'd be like, oh, look, we got to hold off on paying some of those. Uh, those, uh, reimbursements because we got to, you know, we can't let Chris down. We got to make sure Chris gets paid. I mean, it wouldn't yeah. be cool to him to not get paid. And so I think pastors need to have an idea of what's going on. In fact, I still remember one time I submitted a, uh, a receipt to you guys to pay and Peyton goes, no, hold off on that. Cause it was like going to big refuge, right? They'd like bought some Bibles or something like that, that we give out a lot of Bibles at refuge long beach because a lot of people don't yeah. have Bibles there. And, uh, and so then I had to email ginger there at simplified church. I'm like, Hey ginger, you know, ignore that, that, that last payment request. And so for like a week, she'd be like, or it was a couple of weeks. Uh, can I pay this yet? Can I pay this yet? And I'm like, Nope, Nope, not yet. You know, we're still waiting for some more money yeah. to come in. But the point that I'm making here is the pastor needs to know what's going on financially with the church. Uh, Um, but what, what are some of, I want to actually hit on, I know you've got a a third point that I I definitely don't want to diminish, but I do want to get back to the idea of what are some of the, the problems that they can run into with the IRS if things aren't done correctly. And I guess one of the big questions is, can a pastor be held accountable to the IRS personally for something that the church does? Or is it like, well, that's the church's problem. If the church messes up then the church has to deal with it.
2: Yeah, great question. And 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 from what I have found, um, there is some grace there, which which is good. Um, it does seem that there's a, there's a level of, of that is is having the right person that happens to get your file should something happen. Uh, heaven forbid. Um, but there have been documented cases of churches that have um, done things incorrectly and the pastor. And the first person directly responsible for the books have been the ones liable for that issue. Uh, and I say that so basically in one, in one case I can remember reading about, it was the pastor and the treasurer mm. who were held responsible. Um, and in most cases where, where, where churches are really going to be uh, scrutinized uh, by the IRS or, or any government body, in most cases is going to be over payroll. Uh, and and paying personnel that that's usually the only interaction that a church at this point in time is going to have, um, with the
1: government. Interesting. Interesting. And I think it's important too, that, uh, that they have someone, I mean, this isn't meant to be a plug for simplified church, but obviously just having you on, it's a plug for simplified church and your sponsor of the podcast. So that's always cool. But I will say this, that I was dealing with one uh, huge church, a mega church, and they had to cut me a check for something. And it was cut to me personally, not to my business. And it was for like just over a thousand bucks. And I was blown away that they didn't ask for a W9. Like I was like, what? You're not. I mean, you cut this to me personally and this is technically this was a mega church i mean they got a couple thousand people there on sunday so this accountant should have known what they were doing oh yeah and of course i didn't volunteer and go hey do you want my w9 so you can tax me at the end of the year i mean yeah but you know it's like i'm amazed sometimes at at what people do in churches i don't know oh yeah i'm I'm blown away well it's
2: it's at one level, you're amazed. At one level, you kind of go, "Yeah, makes sense," <laughs> you know. Um, not surprised at all. Um, and and because it's, it's a it's good segue. And I'll go ahead and bring up my third point. Um, in 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 saying that, you know, a lot of times we rely on tradition over the law.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, and I say that, in, in, in saying that, a lot of times we take uh, we take the the anecdotal information on how to do church finances and assume that's the right way. Uh, I I always tell guys, if you, if you talk to five CPAs and ask them how to do pastor's payroll, you're probably going to get five different answers. Mm. Um, And and, and unfortunately the IRS is a little gray uh, when it comes to that, where the verbiage that they use and, and the language that they use in that is is could be taken a number of ways and can be you know it's like anything with the law i mean anymore you look at our, how litigious our society is we, we take words and skew them and try to assume meaning and intent of the law letter of the law kind of kind of those types of things but um i will say just kind of back to you know to, to plug our company where we're going to fall on any issue when it comes to paying a pastor is the most conservative approach where the pastor or the church will neither of them will be in a position that they'll get in trouble
1: right how does it work with the housing allowance because i know that's different for pastors (laughs) than it is for anything else How, how does that work i don't even know how it works
2: well so housing allowance and and Pete I mean quite honest we could we could do a podcast just on <laughs> Did that I issue did I just itself.
1: step in a question I shouldn't have even stepped in
2: Oh my gosh it's yeah it's it's one of those things but just to kind of hit on it real briefly um years and years and years ago um you know when our government was was uh, um
1: uh, I don't even know what word I want to say um when they were were when they sided on the when, side when, of religion when, over uh
2: yeah, law. yeah. Okay. When, when churches were held in a higher regard, right? Um, they they set up that you know pastors, you know, and, and back then pastors didn't make a ton of money, and, and a lot of times it was a much different role. And so they put together a, a plan where pastors um, ordained, and every or every um, denomination has a different definition of that, but ordained pastors, so salary ordained individuals, um, could claim. A, an amount of compensation as housing allowance, and what that essentially means there there, there are you know forms that you can go through to, to figure that out. Um, essentially, the costs that go into living in, into your living expenses can be paid to you by the church in what's termed a housing allowance. Uh, basically, that is non taxed income um uh, it, it so just to briefly sum that it, it usually falls in about anything that anything but food and clothing hmm. is pretty much where that falls in and what can fall into that um but you claim it once a year so you're gonna set up for the year what amount um it will cost you to live for the year that money is allocated to you tax deferred um as compensation uh, one caveat to that that a lot of guys don't don't factor in it. And I don't really know a whole lot of churches that really follow up on it either, uh, is if you don't use that all for housing, the difference becomes taxable. Interesting. It, it So, you know, in, in an audit type situation, things like that, you know, that could be brought up. Uh, and, and a lot of guys don't realize that, but, uh, but yeah, essentially it is a way to, for a church to, um, to bless a pastor, um, and be able to provide him, some living expenses, um, that, that are a benefit that are a level of benefit to him.
1: Just out of curiosity. Okay. So that's taxed. Is it tax free or tax deferred? I mean, does he ever pay taxes on that housing allowance money? No, it it is tax free. It's tax free. So does that then not get counted as income? when um factoring like for his social security i mean do pastors get social security i mean i know some industries don't like the railroad doesn't hey, and it's like crazy you're
2: really walking down a you're really chasing a wormhole here <laughs> i'm man. just
1: curious you. man this is the financial guy in me going man how does it work for these guys maybe i need to get my ordination and then uh, go to a real church and start taking advantage <laughs>
2: Well, you know, ultimately it's not meant to be, you know, a benefit to where you use this to circumvent the tax code. Right. Um, you know, it, it's originally intended for for churches that can't afford um, to pay a pastor pretty much a livable wage. And it's intended for um, for pastors. And, and the original intent is actually written because they provide an embetterment to society. Right. OK. In their pastoral work. Is is the whole housing allowance now? So to answer the more specifics of where you're going here, and again, we're we're treading on 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 a really deep issue here. Um, so uh, you know, I, I'll kind of offer the caveat that everybody's situation is different. Kind of the whole, right. you know, you should you should consult your individual tax tax accountant and things like that. Because but basically speaking, um, for a Social Security and med so pastors are considered a dual status employee. And so what that means is they are an employee as it stands for federal withholdings, the stuff that you're going to fill out on your federal W-4. But they're considered self-employed for um, the op- for the other pieces of that, which would be Social Security and Medicare. So as a traditional employer, you would pay your employees. Uh, they would pay seven and a half percent. And as the employer, you would pay seven and a half percent. Right, right. Um, Traditionally was known as FICA, the acronym F-I-C-A. For a pastor, um, he's considered self-employed for those, which means he's on the hook for both ends of that.
1: Right, he's got to pay um, the, the employer year.
2: and the employee side, which really comes out to about fifteen point three percent. And, and um, there is a caveat where a pastor can opt out of social security. That's a whole other issue in itself. But um, but it, it, when he, pastor goes to receive his W two at the end of the year. The total salary gets put on there, meaning the taxable salary. So that would be his all income minus housing gets put in the salary box. The Medicare Social Security calculation is done on the entirety of the amount. But then housing does not have to be shown. Um, Some will opt to show it and some will opt not to show it. But uh, on a W-2 and in this way, technical, it goes in box 14 on the W-2. Uh, but is not required to be shown uh, what was paid as a housing allowance.
1: Wow. So in other words, what we're saying is you really do have to be a math pastor or they just need to go to simplifychurch.com and talk to you.
2: You know, I, I, I hate to, to, I've been doing this for about 10 years. And, uh, you know, when, when it comes, that's a conversation I have almost weekly with pastors is when it comes to payroll and those types of things. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of denominational resources. And unfortunately, from what I found, nobody really tries to put it in plain English. You know, and just try to say, look, man, here's how you need to do it. Um, we actually have a way that we help pastors um, in, in setting up their compensation, um, set it up to where they're not going to get this tax bill at the end of the year. We do an additional withholding amount. We help them set up, calculate what that amount what their tax liability is going to project projected to be. Uh, and let's withhold that on a, on a paycheck by paycheck basis. So that at the end of the year, you're not all of a sudden hit, Oh, by the way, you owe $3,000 in taxes, right? Yeah. Because you didn't keep up with it throughout the year.
1: Yeah. And let me yeah, tell you guys, that's a good thing. A, that, that's a good thing. If yeah. you only get a tax bill for 3000, I, I would love to have tax bills that low at the end of the year. So you don't, you well, can get you know, hit with a lot. That
2: just means that you're living the dream, right? No,
1: I'm just saying you can get hit with a lot. Like you don't even calculate, like just stupid things. Like I, I, um, I used to pay far less taxes three or four years ago on pretty much the same income. No, it wasn't three or four years ago, probably six or seven years ago on the same income. The difference is my mortgage write-off is so dramatically different than what it yeah. was. I mean, I I probably pay less on my mortgage by about $30,000 a year, but you don't think about it until the tax bill. And then you're like, Holy crap, man, I got this huge tax bill now. So it's not necessarily living the dream. It's just taxes, man. They can,
2: it is. And that tax code gets more and more complex and, and lots of pieces fall into that. And that's kind of where, so we, we tend where we are representative of the church. Uh, as a client, the church is our employer, we'll say it that way, um, as a simplified church. And so we want to help the church, but in turn, we didn't help the pastor because he's a very major, integral part of that church organization. So, you know, we're going to come alongside and help the church to manage their money, but then also set the pastor up in such a way that, that it's going to be as most advantageous to him in um, and, and, and a lot of ways to, to get a, away from any fear that he has of his butt going to jail.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, we, we've joked about that where I've said, uh, um, we, we talked about when I said, you know, don't believe the myth that pastors don't need to know the church finances. Um, you know, I, I, I've joked around with, uh, with the term, you know, Hey pastor, come with us to keep your name out of paper and your butt out of jail.
1: Cause it can happen.
2: In, in, in very extreme circumstances, but absolutely. You yeah. know, and, uh, and, and going with the, the folklore or the, uh, well, we've always done it that way. So why change now? Um, you know, or the, or the hearsay of how to manage church finances, you know, and interestingly a enough, dangerous place to be.
1: Yeah. Interestingly enough, one of the things that I think a lot of people really fail to recognize, but they're going to start seeing it more now, the more the United States turns away from, you know, their their religious background their religious roots if you will were here's here's the thing guys like how they got al capone was tax evasion right mm. it, it wasn't for all the murders that he did it wasn't for the robbery the theft any of that the prostitution none of that it was tax evasion and you got to understand that that's like the tool that the government always has if they need to take someone down like Warren Buffett is, it has a great line. He goes, look, if a cop follows behind someone for 500 miles, he's going to find something you can write him up a ticket for. Yeah. And it's the same way. Like if as things start going the way they're going in the United States and they want to start coming after you, let's say you take a stance on gay marriage or whatever, that they don't find desirable abortion, um, anything, pick your poison and they want to find a way to get to you they can use that IRS tax code and come after you. It's just yeah. like Warren Buffett with, you know, if you fall behind someone for 500 miles. You can find something to write them up a ticket for. And that's why I just think, you know, guys got to be really cautious with this stuff and don't play uh, uh, high and loose with it or fast and loose. Rather don't rely on tradition. You know, like you were saying earlier, stick to the law, work with someone like a simplified church, Um, who can, who can help you out and keep you out of jail. You got to stay out of jail unless God's (laughs) called you to jail.
2: (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's funny. We joke about it and we say it in jest, but I I can't tell you how many, um, church plant pastors have called me and been interested. And then several times it's happened that afternoon. I'll get a call from their wife. Yeah. And, and the story I'll hear is I just don't want to go to jail. I want to make sure we're doing this right. Cause in most ca- in a lot of cases, and there may be a lot of pastors listening to this podcast that are in this boat, it's him and his wife. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're it. So the, uh, the pastor's kind of there to preach and teach and, and do those kinds of things. And, and guess what tasks fall on her shoulders? Well, it, it's all the stuff that, uh, that, that,
1: uh, that he doesn't want to do I
2: need to get done that, you know, a traditional go to a volunteer or something in, um, you know, pastor doesn't, doesn't have anybody else. They don't have a core team. They don't, you know, who who are you going to trust? Chances are how many times is your core team going to evolve over the first two years of your church? Well, as a person that came in and set up your finances and volunteered, are they going to be there in six months? You know, it's cool. It, it uh, it's a, it's a definitely a, a an area of church that, we, we do kind of want to, to just kind of shove under the carpet and try to overlook, but you know, we're, we're reaching a point where that's a, uh, that's a dangerous place to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey Josh, I appreciate you coming on today's podcast and sharing all of this information with us. Just a reminder, everyone, if you want, go ahead and reach out to Josh Henry over there at simplifychurch.com. Obviously they've been a, a big sponsor of the church planner podcast for a long time. We really appreciate them, but uh, we also really appreciate what they do for us what they do for refuge, long beach, what they do for new church planning. Um, and you need someone like that, who can take all of that burden off of you guys. So head on over to simplifychurch.com com and, uh, and reach out to Josh. Josh, again, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
2: Hey, you bet, man. I appreciate the, uh, the time. And, and uh, man, you really kind of, you really kind of pushed the envelope and, and, and stretched me a little bit there. So, but, uh, always fun to
1: talk, uh, talk shop. All right, man. Thanks a lot. And before we get on to our next section of, uh, today's church planner podcast, uh, I just want to remind everyone, you know, I don't have Peyton here, so I can't really make the, uh, our sponsorships fun. Obviously that was uh simplified church and, uh, they do a lot of great stuff for our church planners, but, they also work directly with MoGive, who is another big sponsor of the Church Planner Podcast. In fact, I think they've uh, been a sponsor even longer than Simplify Church. And um, Peyton might have even had a little something to do with uh, connecting the two of them up. But the great thing about MoGive is they help you uh, get your church with some online and text-based giving uh, platform. Uh, it is a great way to... Ensure that no matter what the weather is, you can still uh, collect people's tithe, um, which is obviously important because not just for your church's health, but for the individual's health. Because what happens is, um, like especially in certain parts of the country where they might have uh, a lot of snow and church will be canceled for a Sunday, those churches usually get hit dramatically when they don't have a service because people don't give. But being able to give online allows people to give and they don't have the money still in their account. And what happens if you have the money still in your account is you spend it and you spend it on things that, uh, you know, usually you don't need and you wanted to give it to the church. You just forgot and whatnot. So we use it at refuge. Um, many of our church plants use it. They know cause we make the joke that, uh, uh, I've been a, a secret giver every once in a while when I, I hit someone's website and if you don't have MoGiv, I don't want to give to you. MoGiv's already got all my information and they make it easy for me, the givers. So, uh, you know, get signed up there with MoGive. but an idea guys that I wanted to share with you, um, it was, it was something that really hit me this last week in one of our band of brothers call that we do in jump school training, we had a, uh, a church planner, I believe in like upstate New York or somewhere in on that uh, part of the country. And they had a a church facility and they were trying to figure out, you know, um, we need to get more money into the church and we've got this facility. What do we do? We've got this room basically that that we can use as a banquet room. And I think they're right next to a restaurant or something like that. The restaurant will every once in a while rent out the banquet room. They're like, you know, how can we how can we turn this into more money? And I'm going to share this idea with you because I want you guys to start thinking differently about the assets that you have at your church. So let me give you a quick example. And this is one of the things I shared with him on the Band of Brothers call. And that is that um, there is a, uh, a guy that I know in Utah and he's got a room where he holds his seminars. He got tired of renting out the hotel and doing all of his seminars at a hotel. And so he's in a, 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 you know, a complex, a business complex, and he rented out this room that's uh, you know, he's got it with tables in there and chairs and stuff so he can run his seminars. And what he did was he called, he, he filed a DBA, a doing business as for his business. And in his case, he called it the Utah Educational Institute. And it was just a DBA. And so that way he could legally have a really nice sign made and put on the side of the room called the Utah Educational Institute. And then what he does with that is that's when he holds all the seminars, he holds them under his Utah Educational Institute. But he went to all of the businesses all around them. And they said, hey, by the way, if you ever need a room to rent, We've got our room over here, and we rent it by the hour, and it's right here close by, and it doesn't have the name of my company on the door. It says Utah Educational Institute, and what they were able to do is they rent it out so much every month to all the other businesses that are right there around them that they've ended up turning that into a profit center, and they're making eight grand a month off of renting uh, this room. That's all it is, is just a room. So they have hourly rates. They have day rates, half day rates. And so obviously he uses it for his business first and foremost. But when they're not using it, they turn it into an asset and they utilize it. And so this was the idea that we shared with this particular church planner of, hey, you know, maybe there's a way that you could um, use the asset that you've got of this facility and other local businesses might want to rent it. Like I'm a great example. I do seminars all the time. And I'm always looking for space. And I'm always looking for a good deal, no hassle, don't have to worry about it. And I hate using hotels, which is usually who I have to use to rent out a room. So um, it's something for you guys to think about if you've got a facility. But again, it takes you starting to look at things differently. And what brought it up this last week is I was reading an article of a, um, a new startup company in New York called Spacious. I believe it's Spacious. And what I loved about this, what they did was they, they basically figured out that there was 2,200 restaurants in New York City that are not open until 6 p.m. So the restaurant is just sitting there, not making any money most of the day. And it is so expensive in New York that you're almost looking for any way you can to make money with your, uh, your facility. So what these entrepreneurs have done is they've started a a company called Spacious and basically with the freelancer economy is really what they're going after. All the individuals like me out there is they rent out and you can, you can basically um, sign up for a membership. I think it was like $50 a month or a hundred dollars a month, something like that. That's what it was. It was a hundred dollars a month. And uh, for a hundred dollars a month, you can come use any of the restaurants, you can meet people there. You can sit with your laptop, just like you would a Starbucks. Um, things like that at restaurants all over New York, and it just launched, and they already had fifty people take them up on it. Well, you know, you go fifty people at a hundred bucks a pop. That's not that much. It's only five grand. It's a startup. But what would it mean for your church if you had a facility? And that was another option you had, like, maybe it doesn't make sense to run it out as an event center. Maybe it more, it makes more sense where you could basically set up stations and people could come in there. They can meet with people. Maybe you've got an extra office in your church that doesn't, uh, it's not used by anyone. And, um, and you could make that a, an office that people could rent and come use, um, but these are just some of the ideas that I want you to think about. And the other thing too that I think they did at Spacious it was like $100 a month or uh $30 if you just needed it for one day. And and I'm looking at that and I'm going like that's a brilliant idea. I mean because you're basically using space, you're, you know, and it was a rev share with the restaurants. The restaurants got some part of the money and uh and they obviously got to keep some part of the money. But it's a brilliant idea. And I'm looking at that going okay, if you're a church planner and you've got facilities, is there some way that you can also turn that into a profit center when you're not using it to help lessen the cost of, of what it takes to run your church plant? I mean, most of the church plants that we talk to are always hurting for money. So I just want you to think about that. You know, you've got this, this facility. How else can you use it during the off hours, if you will? Um You know, is it, is there a type of facility like uh, the church that I grew up in? If we'd been thinking along these lines, it had a great big uh, room where we had an Awana program at this particular church and, you know, we do uh, laps inside. So it was, it was a big room. It was, it was a big enough that you could do laps and stuff, but you could go to um, some of the local uh, karate or taekwondo schools and And find guys who are maybe looking to start their own uh, Taekwondo for kids facility, and maybe they could utilize um, your space. Now, I don't know if that would actually work. Um, you know obviously there's there's legal issues you need to look into. there's um, insurance issues is, is really the biggie. And, and, of course, uh, you don't want it to smell, right? I don't know if a bunch of kids doing Taekwondo stink or not. I haven't gone into a Taekwondo facility. But the point is, it's an idea that I want you guys to think about. And I don't want you just to look at your, your facility as an expense. And, you know, you've got the Sunday meeting and you've got the Wednesday night meeting and you try to use it as much as you can the rest of the week. But if you've got a facility, start thinking outside of the box. And also what that's going to do is start bringing more people to you. Right, because now they're coming to your facility to work. And you can let them know, hey, this is a church on Sunday and whatever other days you use it. And we rent it out during the week for people who need to have a facility to utilize. Because you know, we're trying to offset. And hey, if you need to find a church on Sunday, we're all going to be here. I mean, that's a really cool idea to think about. So, anyway, guys, with that, I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And um, we'll be back next week for another great episode. I don't remember if Peyton's going to be back or not. I think he said he was. So we will look forward to talking with you then. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com.